Well, we wrap up chapter 10 this morning. And as we begin to read our passage, you will notice that there's some movement going on in this passage. Uh, Some time has elapsed from when Jesus was at the Feast of Booths from chapter 7 up into maybe chapter 10. Um, We don't really know the beginning of 10. Was it still the fall or has maybe some time had already elapsed? It seems like it was still at the Feast of Booths. So the Feast of Booths, we know that it's in the fall. Now Jesus was back in Jerusalem for the Feast of Dedication. And at least from what's recorded, this may possibly be the last time Jesus is in Jerusalem until his crucifixion this very next spring. So let's open up our Bibles to John chapter 10 as we pick up where we left off last week. We'll pick up in verse 22. Verse 22 says this, At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. And so the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hands. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? And Jesus answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? If you call them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, Do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. Let's pray. God, I pray that our hearts would be open to hear from you today. I pray that as true sheep, we'd be obedient to your word. So, Lord, I pray that you would convict us of any sin we need to repent of. Lord, I pray that you'd give us eyes to see how you're at work in our lives. Lord, help us to cling to you. Help us to trust the good shepherds leading. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we've seen all throughout this gospel, um, if Jesus is in Jerusalem, then, then we can expect to see some conflict. Every time he's there, there's, there's some conflict between him and the Pharisees, other religious leaders. And we see this in verse 22, that at that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. 
It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So we now come to a winter Jewish festival, the Feast of Dedication. Last week, last several weeks, we've seen the Feast of Booths. Um, Here is this Feast of Dedication, or what some people call the Festival of Lights. You've heard of the Festival of Lights, maybe? Maybe if you don't recognize the Festival of Lights, maybe you'd recognize the Hebrew name that people call it, Hanukkah. You've heard of Hanukkah? Did you realize that Hanukkah was mentioned in the Bible? I think a lot of times we don't realize that, like, you know, Hanukkah is this Jewish tradition, and, and, you know, in New Testament, there's Jews celebrating all this Jewish Old Testament, um, you know, holidays, festivals, traditions. And so it's kind of interesting that Hanukkah is mentioned in the Bible. Well, the background is after Alexander the Great, um, after his kingdom was divided into four kingdoms, at some point, a man named Antiochus Epiphanes, he ruled one of these kingdoms. He was a wicked, wicked man, and he greatly hated the Jews. In an attempt to destroy um, Jewish worship, um, he sent an army to Jerusalem to dedicate the Jewish temple to the gods of Olympia and Zeus around December of 168, some say 167 B.C. So almost 200 years before Christ, the temple was desecrated. And so the Jews hated this man. This man hated the Jews. He wanted to turn Jewish culture into Greek culture. Um, He did many horrific things to the Jews. Uh, He organized military attack on the Sabbath because he knew that they wouldn't fight on the Sabbath. Uh, He defiled the Jewish temple by offering a pig on the altar um, at the temple uh, to Zeus and Olympia and sprinkled its blood in the Holy of Holies. Now remember, according to Jewish dietary laws, pigs were considered unclean. So this was just horrific what he's doing to the Jews. Then he took the pig's broth and poured it onto the holy scrolls. The scrolls containing the words of God were then ripped um, in pieces and burned. Around 160 BC, a Jewish um, man named Judas Maccabeus led his family in revolt against Antiochus Epiphanes. After the uh, successful revolt, the Jews wanted to consecrate the temple that had been desecrated, but there was only enough pure oil, olive oil, to light the menorah for one day. It takes eight days to make new olive oil. The one day's worth of oil ended up lasting for eight days, just long enough to to make more oil. The Jews believe that God sustained that one day's worth of oil so that his people could continue to worship in the temple. This is why the Jewish people, even still today, light a candle on each of the eight evenings in remembrance of God's provision of not letting the light go out. So this is the background to this narrative. You have this feast of dedication, this Hanukkah, this picture of light not going out. Now think of that being the background. Think of what Jesus has been talking about, how he's the light of the world. So this is the background for this narrative. Verse 24, the Jews gathered around him, around Jesus, and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. 
Notice how the text says that they gathered around him. Some translations say that the Jews round about him or even surrounded him. Surrounded shows more this, I think, the intention of the Pharisees. Surrounded has more like this military connotation to it. And that's exactly how the Gospel of Luke uses this same Greek word, which only appears four times in the New Testament. In Luke 21, 20, Jesus says, But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies. See, these Pharisees wanted to gather around him. Not so much like to listen to what he was saying, because he was an interesting teacher. This was not like how children would gather around to hear a good story. But they were gathering around him. They were surrounding him more like birds of prey, just waiting for their moment to devour Jesus. So they asked him a question. And I don't think it was a serious question. I mean, it was a serious question, but I don't think it was serious for them. They didn't really care much about what he was going to say unless he would slip up and say something that they could arrest him. They weren't interested in submitting themselves to Jesus. They were just hoping that they could finally get him. Ah, I gotcha. So they asked, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ... Tell us plainly. Jesus is like, come on. You know, just listening to them, you know, basically what they're saying is like, Jesus, just level with us. Are, are you really the one, the, the one that our people have been waiting centuries? You know, just tell us. Come on, Jesus. Notice how they put the blame for their unbelief on him. Do you see that? They're, they're, they're claiming that he has kept them in suspense. They're essentially saying, Jesus, it's your fault. You haven't made it clear. We don't know what to think. Maybe you know people like that. I just, I just really wish Jesus would answer this question for me. Then I would believe. I just wish Jesus would do this one thing in my life. Then I would know that he's truly God. So they're putting the blame on Jesus. Jesus has left us with enough to know. It's like the reason they have not believed in Jesus is because Jesus has not been upfront about his identity. That's all he's been doing, right? The last several weeks. It's like he's been hiding some secret from everyone. They wanted him to tell them plainly, but he has several times. Let's reminisce a little bit. Look back to chapter 5. Remember this? Chapter 5 is the chapter where he heals the invalid. He's been there laying by the pool waiting for the waters to stir so he could be brought into the water. After he heals that man, the Jews were upset because Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath day. They weren't so excited that the man who had been lame for all these years, three, almost four decades, that he's now healed. They're mad that Jesus healed him on the Sabbath. Verse 18 of chapter 5 says, This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. Why were they seeking all the more to kill him? Because he was making himself equal with God. We saw this again at the end of chapter 8. You remember how the Pharisees and Jesus, they were going back and forth with each other. And the Pharisees said, are, are, are you greater than our father Abraham? 
And Jesus replied, before Abraham was, I am. And then they picked up stones to throw it at him. Now, why would they pick up stones for Jesus, for Jesus saying, before Abraham was, I am? Well, it's because they, they knew that he was using the name of God, I am. I am who I am from Exodus 3. He was using the name of God as his own name. And stoning was the punishment for blasphemy. So their problem was not a lack of information. It's not an intellectual ignorance that they have. Their problem is a spiritual ignorance. Jesus said this in, in chapter 9, that they are spiritually blind. So this is a spiritual problem, not an intellectual problem. They know what Jesus said. They know who he's claimed to be, but they are blind. They just can't see the truth. Jesus says the reason they don't believe is because they're unwilling to embrace the truth. So Jesus answers them in verse 25. I told you and you do not believe. Notice the present tense here. They are currently still in their unbelief. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. Jesus says you guys have seen my works. You have seen all the things I've done. Even those without religious education have come to the conclusion that only God could be doing the works that Jesus is doing. Then Jesus lists the second reason for their unbelief. Jesus says they were not among his sheep. So what's the difference between Jesus' sheep and other sheep? Verse 27, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. This is amazing. Jesus has left us here with so much emboldening truth. Maybe some of you just really struggle with does God care about me? Um, is God watching over me? Does God even know I'm around? L listen, to the, listen to these words. I, I, I pray your soul is encouraged by the goodness of the good shepherd. He's amazing. My sheep hear my voice. How beautiful is that? Think of all the religions that would just want to hear from their God. They want to know if God is pleased with them. Many Muslims struggle with this concept. They want to hear from God. They want to know if they are pleasing to, to Allah. We have a God who has spoken. He has given us his word, and the true sheep long to hear his voice. You long to hear the voice of the people you love, don't you? You just want to stay on the phone and talk to them. You want to call. You just want to hear their voice. Do you love God's voice? We have a God who hasn't left us in the dark. He has revealed himself to us. He has spoken. Next, we see that Jesus says he knows his sheep. Now, we've discussed this over the past several weeks a lot, so I'm not going to exhaust this topic again. But I pray this truth that God knows his sheep never becomes stagnant in your life. Pray that no matter, like you always believe and marvel at the fact that God 
knows you. He knows your days, that they're numbered. The Bible says he knows the numbers of hair on your head, which is easier for him to know mine than yours, maybe. He knows you while you were in your mother's womb. God knows you. You're never alone in this world. This is amazing that the creator of all the galaxies, I mean, just picture the galaxies. There's some amazing footage right now going, going around like, of what uh, NASA's showing us from the galaxies. Stars. The God, the creator of the galaxies, the creator of all the molecules, things that you can't see, he knows you. It's amazing. Then Jesus says, my sheep, follow me. To the true sheep, following Jesus, being obedient, it's not a burden. It's a pure joy. Obedience is for our protection. Obedience leads to joy and abundant life in him. Now we see in the very next verse that your obedience does not produce this abundant life. Jesus says in verse 28, I give them, my sheep, eternal life. Eternal life is a gift. Jesus gives it out. Jesus does not say they earned eternal life, but he gives eternal life. You and I don't bring anything into our salvation. If you did, then you're not saved by grace. You're saved by mostly grace. But then that would not be biblical. It's not that Jesus took care of 95% of your salvation and then you have to do the other 5%. Your salvation is 100% due to the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Jesus gives his sheep eternal life. The word eternal means without end. Jesus gives you a life that has no ending. Now, some of you freak out about that, don't you? You start thinking about eternity and you get overwhelmed. What am I going to do forever? Are we going to eat in heaven? What, what, how do we stay busy in heaven? I don't know. It's going to be amazing, and I think you're probably overthinking it, and maybe you're thinking too small about Christ. I think if you're in the presence of Christ... You're not going to be bored. Yes, the shell that we're in right now, it will fade. But you, your soul, who you truly are, the true self, you will never end. Jesus gives you eternal life. And this is not an eternity where you just continue to break down and get really, really old. Jesus doesn't give his sheep just any old type of eternal life. He gives us an eternal life which will never perish. You become non-perishable. You think about it. Your shelf life will last longer than a can of Spam. You're going to last forever. You will never go bad. You will never, ever perish, meaning you will never cease pass away, rot, vanish, wither. You will just be. And if you are one of Christ's sheep, Jesus says that no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, 
who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Wow. This is, do, do you see this, the security that we have in the Trinity? You see this language? There's like this cosmic double grip on your life. No one can snatch you out of Christ's hand, and then no one can snatch you out of the Father's hand. You cannot get any better security than that. Now, this is the third time in this chapter where John has used the word snatch. Two of them are right here in 28 and 29. But the first time was back in verse 12. And I think it's important to keep this in context. Jesus says in verse 12, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them. And scatters them. And now Jesus says, No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Meaning, once you've been placed in the hands of Christ, He ain't losing you. You're His. And this is one of the verses used to describe the doctrine of eternal security or what. Others have also called the perseverance of the saints. This is a very important doctrine. The perseverance of the saints is the doctrine that all of those who are truly born again will be kept by God's power and will persevere as Christians until the end of their lives. And that only those who persevere until the end have been truly born again. Perseverance of the saints. Some people refer to this as once saved, always saved. I don't like that phrase whatsoever. I think it can create this false sense of security for people. Usually you hear this phrase, someone like they're talking about someone who was active at one point in their life, maybe on Sunday mornings, maybe in youth group, and now they're not active anymore. They've kind of walked away from everything. And sometimes you'll hear people say, well, you know, once saved, always saved. Yeah, I get what you're saying, but also realize that sheep will follow their shepherd's voice. I think sometimes people simply may say a prayer, but never meant what they said. There was no surrendering of their life over to Jesus. They may think that they're safe, but their unwillingness to repent of sin, to follow in the ways of Jesus, testify that their prayer was just some words from their mouth but never came from their heart. The, pe- the perseverance of the saints is one of the core doctrines that this church holds. Once someone is truly born again, then they receive the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will help you persevere until you cross the finish line. Another verse that addresses this concept is Romans 8. Look at Romans 8 with me, verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Look at the tense of this. So past tense predestined, called, past tense, and those whom he called, he also justified, past tense. Justified, it's a legal term, meaning, meaning uh, you've been made right. So you've been made right, and you notice it's past tense. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now this is interesting because glorified is also past tense. Glorified means like perfected, meaning you are perfect complete, lacking in nothing. You're glorified. 
Now, I don't know if any of you would be bold enough to say that you're perfect right now. You can if you want. But here's this picture that of God doing this work, that if he's predestined you, he's called you. If he's called you, he's justified you. If he's justified you, he's also glorified you. He can speak in past tense because he knows that he's the one who's keeping you, that he's going to bring you across the finish line. Philippians 1, um, and he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I, I love that, that if he began a good work in you, he will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Not that he might or he hopes that you will you know, be faithful. He will bring it to completion. God is not going to lose one single sheep. Some of you, you probably already got your kind of a wall up. You're ready to kind of debate with me, push back. It's fine. Some of you are going to argue, well, I, I know that no one can snatch you out of God's hand, but it, it doesn't say that I can't jump out of his hand, right? Don't I have the freedom to just walk away from God? It's a good question. If you're born again, John chapter 3, if the Holy Spirit dwells inside you, then I believe, no, I don't think you have the freedom to just walk away. The question of can I just walk away is once again putting your salvation back on you. It's not your role to keep your salvation. It's God's responsibility. Listen to Jude. Let's say chapter 1, but there's only one chapter. Chapter 1, verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, authority before all time, and now and forever. Amen. He's able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless. Pastor John MacArthur has said, if I could lose my salvation, I would. I cannot keep my salvation, neither can you. God must hold on to it for us. The late Anglican Bishop J.C. Ryle says it this way. Christ declares that his people will never perish. Weak as they are, they will be saved. Not one of them shall be lost and cast away. Not one of them shall miss heaven. If they err, they shall be brought back. If they fall, they shall be raised. The enemies of their soul may be strong and mighty, but their Savior is mightier, and none shall pluck them out of the Savior's hand. Christ's love for you drives him to make sure nothing, not even yourself, will snatch, will snatch you out of his hand. As encouraging Jesus' words are for us this morning, the original audience might not share that same sentiment as us. Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Well, this greatly angered the Jews. Look down at verse 31. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? Now, this is the third time in John's gospel where we've seen the Jews trying to kill Jesus. It seems like he had made it plainly to them who he was. But before the stones were thrown, Jesus answers them, for which one of these good works are you going to stone me? He's basically saying, you know, what wrong have I really done? Are you going to stone me for restoring the blind man's vision? Come on now. 
Are you really going to stone me for healing a man who had been an invalid for 38 years? Really? Well, the Jews answered him in verse 33. It's not for the good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. So stoning was the penalty for blasphemy. So that's what they were going to do. They, were, they felt they were fulfilling the Old Testament commands. Well, Jesus answers them in verse 34. It, is it not written in your law? I said you are gods. If you called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you not be, do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Notice the grace in this passage. Jesus knows every single one of his sheep. And though many of these Pharisees are not a part of his flock, in verse 38, he still invites them to believe in him. Then Jesus quotes Psalm 82 here. This is where this, I said, um, you are gods. This comes from Psalm 82. The context of Psalm is of this Psalm is fascinating. If you just go back one verse in Psalm 82, it's a verse 5. G, um, Jesus is quoting from this Psalm. Psalm 82, 5 says this. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. And you think maybe Jesus is quoting this Psalm to, to get them, maybe because they would know where this Psalm or where this quote is coming from. That maybe Jesus is trying to get them to see that maybe this they in Psalm 82 that Jesus is applying to these Pharisees, that they neither have knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. Verse 6, this is what Jesus quotes. I said you are God's son of the most high, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Basically, you guys think you're really, really important. But just like all the other really important men before you, you will eventually die. Well, the Pharisees didn't take this as a compliment. So in verse 39, again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. Now, how did he escape? We don't really know other than the fact that he continues to, we, John, the, the author, continues to let us know that his time, Christ's time has not yet come. And so he continues to escape. Verse 40, he went away again across the Jordan to a place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. It's interesting that how this gospel started out by the Jordan with John, now we're coming to a close. I know we still have many chapters left. But as far as timeline, we're coming to the end of Jesus' life, and he's back by the Jordan where John was baptizing. As you look at this chapter, there's, there's two lights that we celebrate in this chapter. The first one is the light that never went out during this feast of dedication, that God miraculously sustained the candle so that he could purify the temple. So that's why they gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate that the light did not go out, that God sustained the light. 
several times the Pharisees have tried to extinguish, extinguish this true light. So the second light worthy of celebrating is Jesus. Jesus is the true light of the world. The Pharisees, they've been trying to put out this true light, but the light just won't go out. The light remains. God has sustained this light all throughout this gospel. Several times they've tried to arrest Christ, they've tried to kill him, but they just can't. But in God's wisdom, in a few months from this passage, he is going to let this light go out. And you'll see in John's gospel that his time had come. And I'm guessing when Jesus hung dead on the cross, the Pharisees had thought they had finally won. Yes, the light is now gone. We can be in our darkness. This light will no longer shine into our dark lives. But much like the early celebration of someone blowing out all the birthday candles to only finding out those one of those silly trick candles that you know, come back on, Jesus, the true light, shined from the grave as he defeated death and sin. See, no one can extinguish the true light of the world. Today, he continues to shine. His glory will never be blown out. I want us this morning to have a dedication service. Just as they were having a feast of dedication, I want us to have a dedication service this morning. Will you dedicate yourself to Christ, to this light to dedicate means to hand over, to give rights to, to surrender. I think Jesus is asking the question here, will you dedicate yourself to him? Will you dedicate yourself to the good shepherd this morning? Will you give him complete control of your life? Will you surrender to his leading no matter where he takes you? Will you surrender to him this morning? Let's pray. Father, this morning, I, I pray that we would surrender everything over to you, that you would take our time, our talents, our treasures. Lord, if there's any of those three things, our time, our talents, our treasures, that we just have a tight grip on, that we don't want to let go of, Lord, I pray that you would... Um, that you would take those things away from us, that you would force us to let go of that grip. Lord, I pray that we would surrender everything to you, that we would give our whole life to you, that as your sheep, as true sheep would want, we would want to follow you and obey you. So Lord, I pray that we would surrender all to you today, that we would dedicate our lives to you, that you are the true light of this world, that you will never be extinguished. You will never be put out. You stand victorious. So may we surrender to you this morning. May you have complete control over our lives. And I pray this all in Christ's name.